0: the Gospel of John, chapter 6, I'll be preaching this morning from verses 60 through 71. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, and as you turn there, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, for we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ask you now to feed us from your word. May it bear great fruit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 6, 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. May God bless the reading of His holy word, and let His church say, Amen. When I was a boy, I collected baseball cards. Love collecting baseball cards and other little bits of sports memorabilia that I could get my hands on, and I'll never forget the time when my grandmother gave to me the prized possession of my collection. I loved the Bulls in the 90s, what kid didn't? And I loved Michael the Air Jordan. I had his poster proudly displayed in my room with Michael Air Jordan jumping 180 feet to dunk a basketball. My grandmother gave me a t-shirt of the championship bulls with all the team, the championship team, imprinted on this t-shirt, and next to their pictures, you're not going to believe what was on this shirt, autographs. I decided that I would never wear this t-shirt, that I would put this t-shirt away into my collection, keeping it in mint condition, therefore preserving its value for all the years to come. A few years ago, my parents came to visit me and they brought into the house a plastic container and they said, you left some of your junk at our house. I opened it up, there was my baseball card collection, and yes, the Championship Bulls autographed t-shirt. And I got to looking at that t-shirt, and I got to looking at those autographs, and I realized something. My grandmother lied to me. (laughs) Those were not autographs on that t-shirt, those were autographs in print on that t-shirt. The autographs were a fake. In John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, Jesus exposes fake disciples. They look like the real thing, they talk like the real thing, they present themselves as real and true. Disciples, and yet Jesus exposes these fake disciples. Throughout this chapter, we have been reading an ever-decreasing circle of people following Jesus. In the beginning of the chapter, the crowds have gathered to receive the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus taught about the significance of this sign... It is not the crowds, but the Jews who grumble and complain and reject Jesus' teaching. Now in verses 60-71, through I wonder if you noticed here, it's no longer the crowds, it's no longer the Jews, but it's many disciples who abandon Jesus. And all that remain as we arrive here at the end of chapter 6 is just the twelve left to follow Jesus. And even one among their own number, Judas, was to betray the Lord. How did Jesus expose fake disciples? Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart. Jesus gives such an offensive teaching here in this passage about unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you will have no part of Me, Jesus says. I am the bread from heaven. We've already looked at all this in John chapter 6. And this teaching is so offensive what Jesus has done is He has revealed fake, false disciples who were following Him. Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart And by offending the mind to reveal the heart, there's an ever-decreasing circle of people willing to follow Jesus. The crowds have diminished to the Jews, the Jews have decreased to many disciples, and the many disciples have decreased to the twelve, and even among the twelve, one among that number would betray the Lord. What happens to false disciples when Jesus offends their mind to reveal their heart number one here's what we see some false disciples reject Jesus teaching and turn away You see that there in this passage these fake disciples these false disciples they reject Jesus teaching and they turn away from following him look with me at verse 60 and consider that many of his disciples isn't it interesting Those who are listening to this teaching are referenced as Jesus' disciples. But it's not the twelve. The twelve are included in this number, but there are many people following Jesus, and they heard this teaching, and notice what they said. What did they say? Look at verse 60. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What they're saying here is not that Jesus' teaching was difficult to understand. Jesus had explained it to them perfectly. Jesus explained the significance of the sign. He explained that He is uh, like Moses, the giver of the great sign, the provider of God's people. He explained the the loaves and the fishes as that, that they are like God's provision to His people, like manna in the wilderness. Jesus had explained the sign perfectly. And they understood it. But did they really understand it? The way that they answered Jesus here, that this is a hard saying, is they're not saying we don't understand what Jesus has been teaching, but what they're saying is this is difficult for us to accept. They understood the teaching. They just were not willing to accept the teaching. There's a big difference, isn't there? Jesus, knowing in Himself that they are grumbling about this. You see that there in verse 61? Jesus knows that they are grumbling about this. And we've seen this word grumble before in this passage, haven't we? This is what the Jews do when Jesus begins to teach them about the sign. They begin to grumble among themselves about what Jesus had said. And they begin to dispute among themselves about what Jesus had said. And in doing so, they are like those murmuring and complaining Israelites in the wilderness who get tired of God's provision of manna. And they grumble and complain about God's provision, wanting something different, desiring to go back to Egypt where they were able to eat their fill of the food in that land. So here these disciples, we find that they are not real, true disciples. They are in fact fake disciples because they are doing what? They are grumbling about Jesus' teaching. Jesus says to them, do you take offense to this? This word offense here is the word that we get our word "scandalize" from. What Jesus is asking them is, are you scandalized by this teaching do you are, are, do you abhor and reject this teaching that's what jesus is asking them are you insulted and horrified and offended by this teaching if so and jesus makes this case from lesser to the greater look at verse 62 then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before what jesus is saying here is if you are unable to receive this teaching about My body and My blood providing for you, how will you be able to receive the teaching of the cross? How will you be able to accept that it is My body and blood that atones for your sin? Furthermore, how will you be able to receive this teaching when I ascend back up into heaven? If you can't receive this, that's what Jesus is saying, If you can't receive this lesser teaching, you won't be able to receive the greater teaching when the time comes. The reason they didn't understand it is because they were trying to understand Jesus' teaching without the eyes of the Spirit. Jesus tells them in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. They weren't listening to Jesus' teaching and trying to understand it with spiritual ears. They were offended by Jesus' teaching. And so, only the Spirit could give them the life that they needed to receive this teaching. The words that Jesus spoke to them can't be discerned by the flesh. That's what Jesus is saying here. You're trying to understand this in the wrong way. Jesus is saying. You're trying to understand the teaching with the flesh, you won't be able to do it. You have to have eyes and ears from the Spirit to understand the teaching. And as a result of this, Jesus says in verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. There was a story a few years ago about a prominent Christian leader he was a highly successful author and megachurch pastor. News came out, I think it was in 2019, that he was leaving his wife, leaving the ministry, and leaving the faith. It was very public. He gave interviews, social media posts. Here's what he wrote. I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction, he wrote. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. He proceeded in his public announcement to apologize and repent for His writings that he had given that were highly successful. Rejecting those writings. He apologized for the teachings that he gave in his church. He apologized for his views, biblical views regarding marriage, parenting, and sexuality. How did this once prominent pastor fall so far from grace? It's interesting. I think the answer is found In the two words that he mentioned in this public announcement, the first word is deconstruction. Did you hear that, his announcement? He called it deconstruction. And then he even defines the term with a biblical term. He says the biblical term is falling away. What did he mean by that word deconstruction? Deconstructionism has worked its way, seeped its way into our culture. It is part and parcel to the way that people in postmodern culture think about truth and how they know truth. And it comes from the French philosopher Jacques Derrida, who taught that Western thinking was too binary, that people view things too much in black and white, that there was too much absolute truth, and what people needed to do was to deconstruct and move away from Uh, These binary views of objective truth and they needed to open up their mind to subjective truth. And so we hear this in our culture. People say things like, well this is my truth, they will say. Or that's your truth. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. And, And that is straight out of this French philosopher that taught deconstructionism. There are no absolute truths, they'll say, which is an ironic statement, because in order to say there are no absolute truths, you're doing what? You're making an absolute truth claim, aren't you? Obedience is the true test of discipleship, isn't it? Have you ever found yourself offended by something that you read in the Bible? Have you ever found yourself confronted by the teaching of Scripture? Have you ever been sitting here in church and you've heard the reading of the law and you thought to yourself, how can Rob stand up there and say that? How dare he? I'm not sure I think that that's true. If you've ever had that feeling before, good. The Word is exposing your heart. You're being given an opportunity to submit your thoughts, your thinking, your attitudes, your beliefs, and of course, your behavior. You're being given an opportunity under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to submit yourself. You're being given an opportunity for your discipleship to be tested. Your heart is being exposed. Jesus has a good way of doing that, doesn't He? Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart and He'll do so even with false disciples. What do false disciples do? False disciples reject Jesus' teaching and turn away from following Him. But there's even a second response of false disciples that we see in this passage of Scripture and it is more nefarious than the first. Some disciples reject Jesus' teaching and turn away from following Jesus. However, there are other disciples, secondly, who reject Jesus' teaching and continue following Jesus. Or we might say continue following him for a time. This gets explained for us by the Apostle John in this writing. Look with me at verse 64. John loves to provide us with extra information. He's doing this all throughout his gospel. You'll see them in little parenthetical brackets in the gospel of John. And here we have one of them in verse 64. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, the apostle John is telling us. He knows that he's being offensive and he knows why he's being offensive. He knows not only those who are going to disbelieve his teaching and turn away, he knows those who will disbelieve his teaching and betray him. Who was John referring to here in verse 64? Well, look at verse 70. Jesus' response, he identifies that one of the twelve. What does he call one of the twelve? One of you is a what? A devil. One of you is an adversary to my teaching. One of you is a slanderer to my teaching. Just to be clear, verse 71 tells us, He spoke of whom? Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Notice the the magnifying glass. That way we have no question about who Jesus is referring to. It's not just Judas. It's not just one of the twelve. It's not just Judas. It's Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to do what? Was going to betray him. In his commentary on this passage, Dr. Hendrickson, he writes this regarding Judas. His devilish character appears especially from this fact that while others, ever so many of them had deserted the Lord, when they felt they could not agree with Him, and when they rebelled against the spiritual character of His teaching, this one individual, listen to this, this one individual remained with Him as if He were in full accord with Jesus' teaching. You see the more nefarious response to the many disciples who reject Jesus' teaching and turn away? Here's Judas Iscariot. He's... He's hiding out for a little while, we might say. He hasn't vocalized his opposition to Jesus' teaching, but he has done what? Internalized his opposition to Jesus' teaching. He hasn't turned and departed and left from following Jesus. He has rejected Jesus' teaching in his heart, and he has remained among the twelve, which will lead to him betraying Jesus thought about Jesus parable in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the weeds you know the parable don't you in Matthew 13 Jesus gave a parable about a wheat farmer and at some point his enemy came and sowed weeds among his wheat and the wheat and the weeds began to grow up together and so the servants came to the owner of the field and said Uh, At some point while we were sleeping, your enemy has come, your adversary has come and has sowed weeds among your wheat. Do you want us to go and de-weed the wheat field? Do you want us to go and pull out the the weeds and get the weeds out of your field? In theology, we make this distinction between the visible and the invisible church. It's what Jesus is teaching here in John 6. It's what Jesus is teaching in that parable in Matthew chapter 13. That there are those in the church who look like disciples. They talk like disciples. They've been received into membership of the church. They've been baptized in the church. They receive the sacraments of the church. They, by all account, look, act, talk like a Christian. But inwardly, their hearts have not been changed by Jesus' teaching and by the work of the Spirit. Well, why not just go out and just pluck up and pull out the weeds? That would make sense, doesn't it? Why does God allow such weeds to grow up in His church? Why not just go and pluck out those weeds one by one so that the church can remain pure and holy from such false believers and false disciples. What did Jesus tell His servants? If you remove the weeds, you'll damage the wheat. In our neighborhood, here in Richmond Hill, there's a weed that grows. Everybody's yard. It's called Japanese clover. I can't get rid of the stuff. It's in all my neighbor's yard and it, Creeps into my yard. Some of you probably have it in your yard too. And so I decided a few months ago I was going to do something about this weed, and I went and got weed and feed for southern lawns. Now, all of you lawn experts, don't come and tell me all that I did wrong. I'm sure there are many things I did wrong. But I went and got weed and feed, and I put it down on my lawn, and you know what I was able to do? I was able to kill off the Japanese clover. It died. I was so happy. You know what I also killed in the process? Some of my lawn. Some of my good grass. Why does God allow false believers to remain in the church? Indeed, there are those who will leave the church. They will go out from among us because they were never part of us. There will be those who, through church discipline, will be put out of the church. They'll be excommunicated and and put out of the church because they're not truly part of the church. They'll be handed over to Satan for the purpose that their souls might be saved so that they'll come back in repentance. And we hope and pray that all that happens. But you and I both know the truth that there will be false believers in our number when Jesus returns. God in His infinite wisdom would even allow Judas to remain, lest pulling the weeds out of the church, the wheat is damaged too. Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart. Some false disciples reject Jesus' teaching and turn away from following Him, but other false disciples, they reject Jesus' teaching internally in their heart and they continue for a time we might say, they continue for a time to appear to follow Jesus. Well, what differentiates a false disciple from a true disciple? Because Jesus, He's offended a whole lot of people here. He started with a big crowd and He's left with 12. Jesus isn't doing so good, is He? Not by worldly measurements. Ministry doesn't appear to be going so well. How do true disciples respond to Jesus' challenging teaching? Here's what we see. That true disciples, all true disciples, receive Jesus' teaching and continue following Him. That's what true disciples do. They persevere. In the faith, we might say. And as we've learned in John 6, this isn't something that you do of yourself. This isn't something that you muster up yourself. This is a gift of God's grace to enable you to persevere. We've already covered all that in John chapter 6. True disciples receive Jesus' teaching and continue following him. Look at Jesus' question in verse 67. These many disciples have turned back. They no longer want to walk with Jesus. And as the dust hasn't even settled yet, Jesus says to the twelve, what does He ask them? Do you want to go away as well? Now, stop for a minute. Does Jesus not know the answer to this question? Jesus is omniscient, isn't He? I mean, we have just read in verse 64 that Jesus knew from the beginning. He knew from the beginning those who were, not, who were not going to believe and those who would betray Him. So why would Jesus ask this question? He knows who's going to continue following Him. I'll tell you why. Jesus offends the mind to reveal the heart. Jesus asked this question of His disciples so that they would examine their own hearts. Would they receive Jesus' teaching and would they continue following jesus teaching what is jesus how 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 are they referred to here in john chapter 6 the disciples these true disciples how are they referred to what are they called they're called what they're called the 12 this is only one of two places in the gospel of john where this is a reference to the 12 disciples Why call them the twelve? Throughout John chapter 6, we have been seeing a contrast, haven't we? A contrast between the 5,000 and the Israelites with the manna. We've seen a contrast between the sign that Jesus gave and the sign that Moses gave. We've seen a contrast between the grumbling of the Jews and the grumbling of the Israelites. Jesus refers to these disciples as the twelve, I think, because, follow the analogy here, Jesus is wanting to know, are you the true covenant people of God? Are you the true Israel? Are you the true twelve? Are you the actual ones who will follow and serve me even when my teachings are difficult for you to understand. And how do they respond? Peter speaks on their behalf, doesn't he? Look at the response from Peter in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no other person for us to turn to, Peter's saying. All the others have turned away. They've gone back to their old way of living. They've gone back to follow those who they've followed before or follow no one. They've they've turned away from following Jesus. They've decided they're going to turn back. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What's he saying? We get it. We've seen the sign and we understand the significance. Your words are true. Your words give eternal life. We understand. That's what Peter's saying. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They understood the true purpose of the manna, and they understood the true purpose of the bread from heaven. Deuteronomy 8.3, speaking of the manna, it says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's the purpose of the sign. He wanted to teach them that they were dependent upon Jesus' every word and teaching. When I was in college, I had to take a history class with a professor who was known to be challenging and difficult. And he was the only one who taught this class that I needed. The term paper, you had to submit the term paper in sections. And you had to get each section approved before you could proceed to the next section of your term paper. And if you didn't get that section approved, you couldn't proceed. And if you got delayed trying to work on getting his approval for a certain section, your grade got deducted. And I was running out of time with my thesis statement. I had worked on this and worked on this. I had submitted it two or three times. And Dr. Black, time and time again, kept rejecting my thesis statement for my paper. I finally got so fed up, I did what any any sophomore with half a brain would do. I went to the academic dean. An injustice has been done here. The academic dean needs to know about Dr. Black, who is treating poor students like me this way. Sat down with the academic dean and He smiled and listened to my whole sad tale and he looked at me and he told me in a nice way, grow up. Dr. Black has been teaching here, boy, longer than you have been alive. He knows what he's doing. You need to humble yourself. You need to go to his office and ask for his help. So I ate a slice of humble pie and I went to Dr. Black's office and I asked for his help and he helped me and I got my thesis statement passed and I still got a deduction for a late turn in on my paper but I learned an important lesson learned how to write a thesis statement for a paper and that served me well for the rest of college and seminary And I learned to submit to the teaching of my instructors. Even when I thought they were unfair or difficult. It's within our own DNA when we hear a difficult teaching from God's Word, a difficult teaching from Jesus. Let's face it, He's the author of every word in this book, isn't He? It's within our nature to look for another authority, isn't it? To try and do away with the teaching, to try and explain it away, or to, to try to look to another authority who can, who can get us off the hook of obedience, that, that maybe Jesus didn't really mean the plain meaning of this text, and, and maybe I'm off the hook, maybe I don't have to submit, maybe I don't have to obey, maybe Jesus will forget about it. Proverbs fourteen twelve teaches us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know what Jesus does? Jesus offends our minds to reveal our hearts. Will we submit and receive to every one of His teachings, even when they're difficult, even when they're hard to receive? All true disciples receive Jesus' teaching and continue following Him. So let me ask you a question. Has the Lord written His name on your heart? Or do you have a cheap substitute? If we could open up your heart and examine it a little more closely, would we see an authentic autograph from the Lord Or would we see a cheap imitation? Some false disciples reject Jesus' teaching and turn away. Have you found yourself turning away from following Jesus because the teachings are difficult? Some false disciples reject Jesus' teaching and continue following. Are you one of those disciples who with your mouth you draw close to the Lord, but your heart is far from Him? Or are you a true disciple who receives Jesus' teaching and continues following him because you know that there is no one else to turn to, because you believe that his words have eternal life? Let's pray.